Yes, hello and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. And we talk every week about the reality of running property businesses. Simon owns buy to and created Patma, a leading portfolio management software system and a source of property market insights. And Stuart runs a portfolio of co-living properties with a six-figure turnover. And unbelievably, we have now started emailing our registered subscribers with interesting information such as property market insights themselves, giving updates on the latest rental and sales information that we think will be useful to all of you as property investors. So if that does interest you, please just head down to the show notes, click on the link and register as a BOP subscriber. Now, last week, we discussed the five keys to scaling your property business. And we thought it was only right and proper that we also consider the five risks of scaling a business because there are risks. And like everything in life, there are pros and cons. And we're going to touch on five things. I'm just going to give you a quick brief taste of what they are. We're going to talk about the time that it takes. We're going to talk about ongoing costs, cash flow, the fact that once you have momentum makes things actually difficult and the financial management of these things. But number one, we're going to talk about time, Simon. So when we think about risks in scaling a business, what, what, what could that mean? Well, you, you wrote this topic, so I don't really have a clue, but I'm, I'm going to guess. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> at, least, at least my take of it, is that building a business takes time, but inevitably we always want it to happen yesterday. So we, we sort of imagine that it's going to happen much faster than it will, and hence we can, we can think, well, I, I want, I don't know, 10 buy-to-lets so that I can retire early. So excellent, I'll stop buying properties and next year I'll be there. But, but it doesn't really work like that in, in property. Property, <laughs> property is a long-term game and it takes a lot of time to actually build a, a portfolio. And, and I've been building my buy-to-let portfolio, admittedly not, not very aggressively and generally sort of quite passively, so on the side. And, and I've been building it for 20 plus years now. And, and I only have five buy-to-let properties. So I could have, could have done that much faster, I'm sure. But it would have taken a lot more time, a lot more input from me, whereas I was actually doing this quite passively. And then it took even longer. So was I right? Is that what you meant by this topic? Absolutely. And I think yours is a good example. And to clarify for some of the listeners that might not know, Simon's portfolio is mainly in the south, in the south, southeast and five properties are therefore of greater value and that itself takes time from my perspective my intention was always to build a portfolio of HMO rooms of targeted rooms for students and young professionals and I spoke about this recently on another podcast which which will be out now inside property investing I'll give Mike a little plug and I was interviewed on that podcast originally just over seven years ago, actually six years ago, a year after I started the business. And when I, when I was on that podcast six years ago, I boldly stated that within 12 months, my target was to hit 100 rooms. I would have 100 rooms under management. And yeah, that, that was the goal. And I, I sit here to, as of today's recording and we have just over 80 rooms, so 83. And that's taken seven years. 
And I'm quite happy with that. I'm actually really, really happy with that. I look back on my former self and smile wryly at how naive I was and wet behind the ears. Because as you say, everything takes time. And when we think about property development as well, when people talk to me about their projects and what they're about to do, I always say, well, however long you think it's going to take, add some time to it. Now, you know, you can be specific about that because it, it always does take longer. And and I, I do believe that it doesn't have to take everybody seven years to build almost 100 rooms. I think it could happen quicker. But the point being is, I think we are surrounded, nay, swamped with current property marketing strategies that tell us how easy and how quickly we can escape the rat race and the day job. And I definitely fell into that trap at the beginning, which is probably why I set such aggressive targets for myself. And I now realize that just like the name of this podcast, property is a business like any other and requires time and effort to build something which could be sustainable to replace an income. So that really is you know, the first risk to be considered. If, you, if you're looking to go in full time into property and you think it's going to take a very short amount of time, we would say, think again. Yep. Long term. <laughs> property is long term. <laughs> so point number two, ongoing costs. I think it's your turn to kick us off, Stuart. What do you mean by this one? Quite simply, if you're going to build a business, there is going to be a lot of cost attached to it. And I'll be a lot lot more succinct on this particular topic. So for example, we have a lot of revenue coming into the business. Yay. Sounds really good. However, the costs within the business are significant. Now, just to highlight this point, I'm going to just give you the first quarter costs at total level. So from April of this year to the end of June of this year, the total costs in my business were just over £32,000. Now, I can also tell you, uh, and we'll come on to this in cash flow, but I can also tell you not every month will we be able to cover those costs. So that equates, you know, to quite quite a considerable amount of money. It's, it's just over, you know, £7,000 a month to to maintain. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes more than that. And building a business, therefore, means you have to build in cash flow to cover those costs now if you can't cover those costs that money's got to come from somewhere and just as a an overview 42 percent of those costs are from utilities now so you know if you if you want to round it up you know you're getting close to 15k's worth of utilities in three months 5k a month the repairs and maintenance for that period for that quarter just under £9,000, so £3,000 a month on repairs and maintenance. So this is the flip side of the coin, which is everyone wants to talk about the income, the revenue you get by rooms for HMOs. That comes quite literally at a cost. Indeed. So I'm going to see if I can beat you on cost. In the last three months, so this is since I finished the, the refurb I was working on, so there's no refurb costs in there. I think if we if we exclude finance because you you didn't actually specifically mention finance so so if we exclude finance I think my costs were about give or take three hundred pounds. <laughs> I'm so glad we're in different rooms. 
<laughs> and and that, that was that was for one EICR that, that came due. And of course, that only happens every five years. And well, five years per property, obviously. <laughs> but, um, okay. but, but yeah. So, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it happens every, every five years. So that's £60 a year. So if I just amortize that, you're talking about £5 a month. Yeah, I'm even less happy. I'm even less happy with your costs. But that, that is a very good contrast, I think, for people to be aware of when making decisions about the business they want to build. Because, yeah, I'm looking at approximately 10,000 a month of costs. Yeah. So, so something else to sort of contrast. I, I'm curious, do you know roughly how many transactions a month you're dealing with? In terms of the costs? Yeah. Yeah. As in how many invoices, bills, etc. do you do you have to process into your accounts? Uh, I don't, don't, don't worry. You don't, you don't need to go down the list and add them all up. I'm just looking for a ballpark here. Oh, <laughs> over 100. <laughs> so so that's that's multiples per room on average every yeah. month and whereas whereas i also have multiples per tenancy i guess so perhaps that's sort of a similar similar number and perhaps even per tenancy mine's slightly higher but per tenancy which is per property for me i'm generally looking at two transactions per month and that, in- that includes the rate that's included the income actually so expenses i'm only looking at one and of course i do have things like insurance and some service charges and and other other bits and pieces that apply but generally speaking they're paid annually so they don't they don't count as transactions very often uh, for the insurance particularly it's one expense across the entire portfolio because i have a portfolio cover so it's yeah it really is very very small in terms of transactions even if there are some extra expenses that, that do need to to be rolled into the consideration so well, that takes us neatly into the next point around cash flow. So talk to us about how you forecast cash flow, if you forecast cash flow. And if you do, do you do that for a set time period? So my cash flow is probably another good reason we're recording in separate rooms. I have a very simple outlook on my cash flow. So because my, my monthly income and expense is, is so predictable, I don't really forecast cash flow out very far at all really i do however know that i i have sort of lumpy expenses so every april just because that happens to be where it falls i have my insurance my annual insurance renewal for example and that's across five properties that, that's quite chunky now and hence i know that there's there needs to be money in the bank for that and then there's also sort of the occasional thing that comes up a, a bit like any ICR every five years, but they're actually fairly small. But also things like a boiler might need replacing every 10 years or so. And obviously when that happens, that, that's a few thousand pounds. It's, it's a, a chunky expense. So rather than really forecasting that in detail, I just have a, have a slush fund, which I maintain sort of in my, my property business account. And, and it's just a few thousand pounds. And my hope my assumption is that that's always going to be enough to to cover the these lumpy lumpy bits that happen really quite rarely but, yeah but just occasionally and other than that it's all stable that's the first thing i would say is that if you're looking at beat buy to let versus hmo buy to let if you've got people on standard asts you know, i'm just going to pick a very simple number because my very first ever flat rented at 500 pounds a month so clearly i can just 
build a cash flow which says £500 a month for 12 months is £6,000. And if, if that's the term of the agreement, and like you say, I can just take my mortgage off of that and insurance. Other than that, the utilities are with them. The first thing I would say, if you're building an HMO portfolio and you've got 50 plus rooms, 20 plus rooms, that monthly income cannot be forecast as as easily because it will go up and down, always goes up and down because there's always going to be a room that's, that's empty. Now, fortunately for me, that cycle is pretty small. But the first thing is the income, I have to project that income. So every month I take what that month the actuals and project the full the next month. I've actually done that for the next two years. So we've got two years worth of projected income. But of course, that could change rapidly on the number of rooms, etc. And then so of course, that's variable, the income is variable. But then we've got a lot of other lines that will also come out mortgages, the landlord rent, loan repayments, accountancy fees. So Again, we will we will talk a little bit more about this in terms of the monthly maintenance. But you have ongoing fees for bookkeeping. We've got, you know, we've talked about it already. Utilities they're constantly going up, so we have to forecast that. We pay all of the utilities in all of our properties, so that's gas, electric, water, broadband. Uh, we also pay council tax, TV license, all of which has to be factored into the cash flow every month. And then, of course, um, we pay for software that we use. You know, so so we are now operating as a business. You know, we're, we're paying for Zero, we're paying for Microsoft, we might pay for office space. You know, that kind of thing. And that I think is when thinking about cash flow, one of the the big risks that I think people need to consider because it's very different to say I'm going to have a buy to let portfolio business versus building a business. And I would imagine that's very much the same, if not more so, because we do have one serviced accommodation. Well, you then actually have to start automating the business. And that's something we haven't really touched on is the systematization. That's a word. Systemizing the business, you know, in terms of elements that you'd need for SA in terms of replacement of uh, cleaning and, you know, bedding and all of that kind of stuff. So cash flow, very, very important for, for our business. I wouldn't be able to survive or sleep if i didn't do a cash flow forecast for the business yeah quite and then and the point of this this item being in in our list is that if you get it wrong it is a big risk to your business but i think actually a, a good thing about once you've scaled a business up more and particularly when you're dealing with hmo rooms so the the individual tenancy each one is worth less you say that there you have more churn which is inevitable because you've got more tendencies you're dealing with. But at least each one is smaller. And not just smaller because it's an HMO room, but smaller as a, as a percentage of your income. So if you have a couple of rooms empty, it's a relatively small amount of your, your rent roll every month that you're, you're missing out on. Whereas with a, a buy-to-let portfolio of five properties, if one tenant gives notice and I'm missing... 20% suddenly of my, my rental income. And that, that's, that's a huge chunk. And that, and that is definitely a, a concern and a risk when, when that does happen. And that's why it is so important to, to act quickly and start looking for, for new tenants to try and keep void periods really, really short in a, in a smaller, sort of simpler buy-to-let portfolio. 
So our next item is it's all about momentum. Now, surely having momentum in a business is is good because once you you get going, you're 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 going. So why is this on our list of risks? Well, like everything else, it's good until you want to stop. So, <laughs> you, you know, as 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 my son says on certain rides on the we we went on the big wheel not so long ago, and when we got to the top, my six year old son said, "Dad, I want to get off." And I said, "Well." You know, this it's the best analogy I can think of. And I just said to him, I'm really sorry, son, but you're going to have to wait. And, you know, he just literally had to put his head, you know, in my arms because he felt really sick and he had to go the whole way round. And I don't doubt that you can get off the ride of of building a business, but it's not so simple. I think if you've got a, a smaller portfolio of, of buildings, it's much easier. Another good example of this, I've been in conversations with someone quite recently about taking over their portfolio of, of several properties plus. And the consideration there is, I think, well, how many people like me could take this building on? I'm sure there are lots of people that would want to, but how many people actually could? And this this person is actually vetting a number of people for that very reason. Because I imagine a lot of people would put their hands up and say, yeah, I'd love a portfolio of 10. Can I take that on? But he's examining that because they need the infrastructure, they need the capabilities to be able to do it. And therefore, the pool of people that he can look at is much smaller. So the flip side of that is if I'm on that side of the business and I've now got 83 rooms, now I don't own all of those, so I can wait for some of the contracts to expire and just hand those properties back. However, I still have several properties. It's not going to be that simple to step away. You know, yet, and I still use agents. so. I think it was around here, which is, again, because it's a real positive that we want to build these really big businesses if that's what we want to do and we want to scale. But the flip side of that is the pool of people that you're going to hand those on to is going to get smaller and smaller. Now, again, I've, I've mitigated that and I've gone into that eyes wide open because I want to build a business and I'm hoping to build a business that I could sell on. You know, Whether or not I sell it is a different matter, but I want to put it into a position to be able to sell it. But the point being is that I think if you've got a if you've got a handful of buy to lets, and you know you you could you could sell those, you know one by one, it's a little bit easier, and because you've got less time pressure. Whereas if you've got eighty to one hundred rooms to service, you can't just walk away and, and start thinking about things, or not. I don't know. What what do you think, son? Well, I I, I disagree. I think partly with your your sort of characterization that buy to let is, is the simpler world for this. Because I think there are a lot of people now who are in buy-to-let with a, a small buy-to-let portfolio, maybe even a bigger buy-to-let portfolio. And because the world is changing around us at the moment, they are now finding themselves in a situation where their portfolio doesn't really work anymore. And they need to get out. And in some cases, they, they kind of need to get out quite quickly. But of course, you just can't in property. It's, it's not a quick thing to mm. do. You could maybe put your property in an auction. But even if you wanted to sort of try and get a, a decent rate in an auction, you'd probably need to evict the tenant first. And even that process takes a few months probably. And then you've got the the month or maybe two months to get it through through an auction process. So you're still looking at maybe six months, maybe a bit less, but, but something in that region. And if you want to evict the tenant and then put it on the open market, you're looking at probably going on for a year of the entire process so the business does have a lot of momentum and the assets themselves i think 
are very sticky and it is it is hard it is yeah. definitely hard so and i agree with all that so actually what we're saying is it's both difficult and both could be as difficult as each other one might be less difficult but either way the momentum in property will take you quite far down the road and it's not as simple as clicking a button and selling some shares and i think that is probably the point for me is is property once you're in and if you own these are the things you, you really do need to be mindful of and you'll you'll hear a lot in property that it's an and I'm not a great fan of the term because I think it's just one of those terms that makes things sound more grand than it is but it's you know property is not you know it's not liquid you know it's uh, it's it's not something that you can just move on it's uh, it's more harder than that but you know but that's where the gains are too so that's why we like it because capital appreciation happens over time so once again, there's a flip side to the coin, but we are on this episode just highlighting those risks just so that hopefully people have greater awareness of, of those challenges. So the final point we had really, which, which ties into some of the elements that we've talked about previously, particularly with cash flow, is around the financial management. And we've talked about that in the sense of cash flow, but for your buy-to-let portfolio, what do you do on an ongoing monthly basis or with with all accountants or, or any other professionals to, to manage this business? So from my point of view, th- this one's really, really, really simple. And it, it's just straightforward. I have an open banking feed set up into my, my Patma account, my Patma manager account. And every month I go in, click a couple of buttons to confirm each transaction or each of the, the sort of couple of transactions per, per property, per tenancy. And, and that's it, really. My, my financial management is really very, very smooth, very straightforward for, for a very simple buy-to-let portfolio. And we sort of touched on some of the other elements of it in terms of the cash flow, in terms of having um, a, a little buffer in the account, so I don't need to plan that out in too much detail. And also... In, in sort of the, the momentum piece we mentioned already, in so much as the bigger picture of financial management, where you need to try and look ahead for things like mortgage renewals and the effect that that might have on your overall sort of portfolio profitability and, and maintainability uh, at all. But yeah, my, my general financial management is, is, I think, on a portfolio of simple buy-to-lets, that's relatively small, really quite easy. But I think as soon as your number of tenancies grows, and, and I think this probably applies to buy-to-lets as well as HMOs, although it's worse for, for HMOs, I think that gets a lot, a lot harder and a lot, lot more complicated to maintain. Is, is that your experience? 100%. And my advice to anyone is, that is looking to scale is start your cash flow documentation on day one even if you have one property with four rooms build that cash flow document we've touched on cash flow and the reason that is important is because it will start giving you an understanding of the actual costs coming in and going out of your business because there will always be just like the time there's always going to be more than you expect and that hasn't changed for me for several years yeah i i should actually just interject that quickly that i do track my cash flow i am very aware of what has happened but I, I just don't forecast it out into the 
into the future for my my particular situation. Yeah, it makes sense. And again, as we touched on in cash flow, that's because the income is a lot more consistent and predictable, and therefore you've got more confidence moving into that. You've, but if you've got a buffer, that helps. And that that's the other element is is having that cash reserve. Now we we still don't have the cash reserve that I would like, and I'm forecasting in a month or so to be in the red, which is not something that makes me happy, but it's a lot less in the red than it was going to be three months ago. But I've got to that stage, well, by number one, building the cash flow document, but number two, now getting to a stage of having a monthly profit and loss account. So the monthly, and the only way we've got to do that is by having bookkeeping on a monthly basis. Now, it just so happens I've got to a stage where I'm doing that again. I actually had professionals doing that for a, for a long time, but we've now got to a stage where it's so up to date that even I can keep on top of it for a period of time until such a time as I hand it back to someone else, which I am going to do. But the monthly ongoing stuff, the P&L is really important because it gives me a full breakdown of all of the costs on a monthly basis. Not only that, it will then break down by property those costs. So on a monthly basis, I get a really good understanding of what's going on. So when the boiler goes, not if, but when a boiler goes, I know when that's happened keeping a track on a property. So there's one property now that I'm looking to sell simply because when I've looked at the monthly P&L and then I've looked at that for the latest 12 months, I can see actually it's a really poor performing property for me because of the amount of maintenance it's taken. And it's just that sort of property that, you know, it might, there might be a service charge attached to it that's just reducing the profitability further where I just go, actually, this one's dragging my portfolio down even though from a from a egotistical sense it's really nice to have a property in my portfolio if it doesn't make sense from a business perspective why would I do it and that's the question because having this monthly view and and, and basically a very up-to-date view means that I can actually start looking at this more and more as a business rather than you know a, a vain approach of just having a, having a good portfolio it just means if, I, if I'm growing a property business and it has to be profitable why would I keep things in it that aren't doing that so all of all of those things have really helped turn this into more of a business and of course you know the the income itself will grow as a result of taking things out that are less profitable for whatever reason so hopefully we've we've gone through that in in a realistic and not overly pessimistic way and hopefully that's been of use to some of you at least when thinking about scaling your property businesses if you've gotten any value out of this podcast at all which we'd hope you have given that you're still listening at this late stage of the podcast and if you have please do leave us at least a rating preferably a review as well that would be great and please reach out to us at biz of property on twitter b-i-z of property other than that we'll see you on the next episode 